Heavenly Father, we come this morning seeking your precepts, seeking your law, and to learn what you would have us do as your people. Oh Lord, we pray that you would indeed save us as we seek you. May we live out our salvation with fear and trembling here this morning, and may we be yours because we are the ones who have put into practice what you have told us to do. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, we've been going through John 13 together, and this is the Last Supper of the Lord Jesus that has been described in John chapter 13. We've looked at how Jesus gets up at the beginning of the meal and and washes his disciples' feet and what he is teaching the disciples in doing that action. And then we've looked at the betrayal of Judas, uh, and that's what we looked at last week, as Judas, one of his disciples, turns out to be someone who is willing to sell the Lord Jesus, uh, sell him uh, to death uh, for a certain sum of money. And we see that Judas is well known to the Lord Jesus that he is going to do this. And so we were challenged that last week to consider whether we could be a Judas as people who have experienced great blessing from the Lord as Judas did, whether we could be indeed a Judas as well. And now Judas has left the building, so to speak. In verse 31, we read, when he was gone, Jesus then speaks. And so we've got this scene here now with the Lord Jesus that Judas has gone out and he's going to, over the coming chapters, there's these last words of the Lord Jesus before his death. And so what we've got really going on here, it's like a deathbed scene where the Lord Jesus Jesus is about to die and he's teaching his disciples some last things before he passes away. It's like a father lying on a bed in a hospital and he has his family, his children all gather around him. And then before he dies, he says, I've got some last things just to say to you. I want you to listen carefully to me. I've got some last things to tell you. And we can see that in the way that he speaks here. He firstly addresses his children as, uh, as he addresses his disciples as his children. We see that in verse 33, my children, giving that idea that he is addressing people for the last time. And then he also speaks about the fact that he is going away, that he is going to die. In verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. He starts to speak more and more plainly about his approaching death, but he also speaks about the glory that he is going to experience in his death. And you see that in verse 31 and 32. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. We understand that Jesus' honor is shown particularly at the cross and he is about to go to the cross. Now that Judas has gone out to arrange for the soldiers to come and arrest him, things are in motion and he is about to be glorified. And then he says in verse 32 as well, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. It's almost like he's he's going off to battle, not so much a deathbed scene, but he's going off before he leaves his children and, and goes off to battle to die a heroic death as a soldier. He's got something to say to them. And so what begins his discourse, his last words to his disciples. What has he got to say to his little children? What would you say if you gathered your family around, you knew you were about to die, what would be the first thing that you would want your children, your family members, your friends to remember or to do after your death? What would you say? What does the Lord Jesus say? Well, we read it in verse 34. 
What is his first thing that he wants to say to them as he's about to leave them? Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What is the Lord Jesus' dying wish that his disciples would fulfill? It is that they would love one another. And that applies to us today as well. As Christ's disciples, the apostles were to love one another, and we as Christ's disciples today are to also love one another. Who is the one another that we're meant to love? Well, it's fellow Christians. It's fellow Christians. Like the apostles, we don't get to choose who we love. The apostles were stuck with one another as they're there gathered with Jesus as he's dying. He's saying, I want you to love each other. I want you to have affection for one another and to serve one another. And it's the same with us today. We are to love our fellow Christians. The world gets to choose who they love. They, lo- they love those they generally like and have things in common with, the people that they get on well with. We are not to do that. We are not simply to love those that we like. We are to love those that God has given us to love. It's kind of like the family that we have, our biological families. Why do you love your sister? Why do you love your brother? Why do you love your mother or your father? Because they're your brother, they're your sister. They're your mother, they're your father. You love them because they are your family. And it's the same with us as Christians. The biological family often is there to teach us a, real, a reality in the Christian church. And so we are to love those around us as brothers and sisters in Christ because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ has chosen who we are to love. And so who are we to love here at Des Moines Baptist? Well, look around you. Just like the apostles would have been looking around at one another at the table and thinking, does he mean that I've got to love that one and that one too? Yes, I can love that one, but I don't want, no, no, I'm not sure about this one. No, we at Dremoyne Baptist are to be the same, where we look around at us, one another now, and we say, yes, these are the people that I'm called to love by the Lord Jesus. Yes, I can love that one easily, I can love that one easily, but that one's going to be a bit tough. I don't have much in common with that one. But we're to remember that the Lord Jesus has told us to love one another. And that firstly starts with our local church. Yes, there's other Christians throughout the world that we're meant to care for as well, but we're meant to start with our local church. And why then are we to love our local church? Why does the Lord Jesus want us to love one another? It's because he has loved the brotherhood of believers as well. What does he say in verse 34? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus isn't calling us to do something he hasn't done himself. He has loved the church. He has loved the brotherhood of believers. He's loved us in this building. Jesus had a special affection for his people. Yes, he showed love to many people who are outside the church as well. He healed many people. I'm not convinced that everybody that he healed, everybody that he fed with uh, miraculous feedings became a Christian, but he showed them love nonetheless. But there was a special affection, a special love for his apostles and his disciples who were following him. And it is meant to be reflected in us as well, that we have a special affection for the people of God because Christ has a special affection, a special love for the people of God. Yes, we are to love our neighbours. Yes, we are to even love our enemies. 
but we're supposed to have a special affection for the people of God. Christians from time to time tell me that they sometimes feel more respect for unbelievers, for people who are outside the church. They look at unbelievers and they say, oh, they seem to be much better people than those inside the church. It's much easier to love those outside the church than to love those inside the church. And that's something that I always struggle to understand. Because unbelievers may be nice to fellow humans, but what about the greatest command of all? What did Jesus say was the greatest of all commands that God gives? It was to love God. Love God. Love your neighbor is second, but the first is to love God. So how can we have a special affection for people who disobey the first commandment, who are willing to love their neighbors, but are not willing to love God? We should be interested in those who have the first commandment down pat, who are interested in loving God supremely. If someone has rejected God, there should be a disgust in our hearts for such a person, no matter how friendly they may be to fellow humans. We should have a real affection for those who are lovers of God. Our hearts should delight in them the most, those who are nice to God, not those who are simply nice to fellow humans. And then what we have to ask the question, so this is why we should love our neighbour, uh, one another, love the people of God so much, is because the Lord Jesus has commanded it, because he had a special affection. Then we ask the question, how are we to show love? How are we to show love to one another, particularly here at Dremoyne Baptist, as committed believers to one another? What is the love of Christ? Well, we don't get to define the love of Christ. I don't get to define it here. That's what the world does. The world gets to define love. I've heard people say all kinds of things about love, the concept of love. And I look at it and I think, that's not what I think love is. People often say God is love. And he's love according to what they define love is. But we don't get to define love. Jesus gets to define love. And what is the love that he would have us show for one another? Well, it's there in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We love one another according to the love that the Lord Jesus showed. Yes, we're to have that special affection for people, for one another. That's why we have it. But then we've got to look at the Lord Jesus for how he loved his disciples, if we are to know how we are to love his disciples too. And one of the best commentaries on this verse and how we are to love one another is John himself in the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. And I'll get you to turn with me there now. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, page 1209. So John, the apostle, wrote four books of the Bible. You've got John's Gospel, and then you've got 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Uh, And 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John are all epistles, letters, that he wrote to his friends. And... 1 John in particular is just a wonderful commentary on the teaching of the Lord Jesus, particularly in 1 John 13, which we're looking at this morning. I was tempted to read the whole thing to you, uh, but I thought it may drag out the sermon a bit too long, uh, and I don't want to overdo your attention this morning, take advantage of you. But basically, it takes 15 minutes to read the whole of 1 John. And so there, this afternoon, one of the things that you can do with this Lord's Day afternoon that he has given you is read all of 1 John. 15 minutes. Take that time 
time and you will get uh, a very wonderful commentary from the Lord himself through the Apostle John on the teaching of the Lord Jesus about love. But I want to give you just one little taste of that this morning. 1 John chapter 3, as we look at how did Jesus love, how are we supposed to love his disciples as he did? 1 John chapter 3, reading from verse 16. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. We've been told to love. Now, how do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And then this afternoon you can spend some more time reading the commentary that is there. But if you look at the Lord Jesus throughout the Gospels as well, you can see how he shows love to people. But here we see that it's not just about the way that you speak to people that shows love. It's also about material support, just as the Lord supports us materially today the love and the affection that he shows he helps us with one another he looks upon us in pity and helps us and that's what we're supposed to do with each other as well and so this shows the way that this commandment that the lord jesus gives in john chapter 13 is a new commandment did you notice that it's a new commandment but some of you may be saying hang on isn't it an old commandment to love the people of god Isn't it an old commandment? And didn't we read in Leviticus 19 before that we're to love our neighbour as ourselves? And doesn't that include the people of God? Well, of course it does. So how is it a new commandment? How is this the 11th commandment that the Lord Jesus has given? We know about the Ten Commandments, but how is this the 11th commandment, as some people like to call it? What makes it new? Well, it's because of the way that love is defined. It's because we are now to love as Christ loved. That was given to us in in John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, a new one. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In giving this command, Jesus has raised the bar, so to speak. I did high jumper few times in high school, they make you do athletics there, um, and I haven't done any since I left high school pretty much, uh, but they make you do these different athletic trials, which are humiliating most of the time, and I had to do high jump, and I'd get over a first few, you sort of jump over, not with going head first, you just try and leap over it, and you can get over the bar a few times, but the problem is they keep raising the bar, and eventually... you end up knocking it down because even though they've raised the bar, you can't bow out, you have to have a go. Uh, The teachers are fairly firm on it. You have to have a go. And when you knock it down, then you can go sit out uh, while we watch other people who are much more gifted than you jumping over it. But that is what the Lord Jesus has done for us. He's raised the bar. Leviticus 19, yes, it's a command there, love your neighbour as yourself. What's he done now? He's raised the bar. Not love your neighbour as you love yourself. Love your neighbour as I love your neighbour. Love one another as I love the disciples, as I love the people of God. Our love to self is never as pure as the love of the Lord Jesus to his people. Our love's always tainted in some way, even to ourselves. We hurt ourselves with our love so often. You think an extra slice of cake is a good thing. You're showing love to yourself. But you can actually be hurting yourself. 
Jesus always loves us with a pure love. And so he has raised the bar. When he says, love one another as I have loved you, he has raised the bar. And that is how we are to love the people of God, as Christ's love. We should be studying the love of Christ if we want to know how we are to show affection and love to each other. Now, why does the Lord Jesus need to teach us this? Why does he need to say this to his disciples in that room so many years ago? Well, firstly, because like the apostles, we're a bit of a terrible bunch. The disciples weren't willing to wash one another's feet. No one was willing to get up and wash the feet of the other people there. It was Jesus that had to get up. The disciples, as we looked at when we were discussing this uh, before in Luke chapter 22, they actually had a fight at that table, that very table, about who was the greatest. They're a terrible bunch. They're fickle creatures. Peter here, he says, oh, I'm willing to lie down, lay down my life for you in verse 37 of John 13. And what does Jesus say? Really? In a few hours, you are going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, even tomorrow, you will deny me. And Jesus is going away. He's no longer going to be there to sort out their tiffs, their fights amongst themselves. So it's not surprising as he goes that he says, I've got one thing for you to concentrate on, kids. When I'm gone, love one another. And it's the same for us today. We're a terrible bunch. We are inclined towards evil generally most of the time, particularly when our flesh is in charge. Thankfully, he gives us the spirit who then inclines us towards good as well. But we need to be told to love one another because we're inclined to dislike and to hate one another and to bicker and fight with each other, just as the disciples were. And so we need to hear our king's dying wish. What do I want you to do? I want you to love each other. Why else should we love each other? Well, the text tells us in verse 35. He tells us to love one another in verse 34, and then he gives us a reason. In verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world doesn't understand Christianity very well most of the time. They don't understand theology. They don't understand our denominational disagreements over baptism, the Holy Spirit, church government, eschatology, what Jesus is going to do when he comes back, Arminianism and Calvinism, all these different theological terms that we can throw out and have big disagreements about and long discussions about. The world just looks at us and goes, what are you talking about? If you were to start talking about the millennium with someone outside the church, they're going to go, what are you on about? And you can get red in the face talking about it, but they're going to say, what are you talking about? But what does the world understand? What do they recognize when they look at the church as something good? They recognize love when they see it. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, the early church fathers, commented about the way that people, uh, one of the things that people say about the Christian church. And the comment was, See how they love one another. People outside the church were looking at the church, the Christian church, in its early embryonic stage, and they were saying, look at that, that group of people. See how they love one another. And people still understand that today. They won't understand all your theological jargon that you can throw out, but they can understand when they see Christians loving each other. And they can even be attracted to our message simply because of the love that they see amongst Christians. 
There was a report in the Christian Post about Iranian converts being hauled before the intelligence minister there because so many of them are converting from Islam to Christianity and they're trying to work out why is this happening? Why are people being attracted to Christianity in our nation? And the converts, many of them said, it's because we see all the fighting going on in Islam. You can't get your teachers, your professors to agree with one another and you hate one another. Whereas Christianity, we see the love of Christians for one another and that's what's attracted us to the message of Christianity. And so Jesus wants us to be identified within the world, not by crosses and bumper stickers and T-shirts and tattoos and mugs that say, I love Jesus. He wants us to be identified by our love for one another. That is the mark of true Christianity, is love for each other. Even miracles are not true marks of Christianity. They can be counterfeit miracles. You read 1 Corinthians and it talks about different gifts that are given to the church. And what does it say? The greatest gift of all is love. And you want to know what love is? Read 1 Corinthians 13 this afternoon. I wanted to read that with you as well, but I thought I'd spin out the sermon too long as well. Read that this afternoon along with all of 1 John. It won't take you as long as 15 minutes. 1 Corinthians 13, it has a definition of love that is to die for, literally. You want to show the world that you're a Christian? Show it by loving the people in this room, first of all, and then people outside this room who are fellow believers in church. We can do such a damage to our witness for Christ if we don't love one another. Could part of the reason an unbelieving friend of yours hasn't come to Christ is because they haven't seen much love for the church in your life. They see you skip church even to meet with them. You might meet up with them for Sunday brunch. And they know, oh, weren't you meant to be going to church today? No, no, I'll come meet with you. They rarely hear you talk about the church and rarely hear you talk well about the church. They may hear you talk badly about your brothers and sisters in Christ. They've never heard of you going to a Bible study or a prayer meeting or to share a meal with fellow believers. Well, then it makes sense that unbelievers don't become Christians. Why would people join the church when you don't seem to really love it either? Why would people join your local church if they don't see that you love it? Whereas if our love for each other is evident, people want to get in on the action too. There's not much love out in the world for people, generally speaking. Just need to read the newspaper to see that. If they see a group of people who love one another, enjoy spending time with one another, help each other, do deeds for one another, not just speak about love, but actually live out love for one another, They're attracted to it and they want to get in on it and be a part of that as well. So we should love one another. Why should we love one another? Well, because we need the command from the Lord Jesus. The world uh, will know that we are his disciples as a result and be attracted to the message. There's a third reason why we should love one another. It's so that we know we are Christ's disciples. It says in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. All men. That means the world, but it also means those people inside the church. Last week we were challenged by the text that we should consider whether we're a Judas. Well, Jesus has given an alarm signal that we are a Judas. What is it? Do we love our brothers and sisters the way that Christ loved our brothers and sisters? If not, there's a good chance we're not a Christian. 
Vertical love towards God must always translate into horizontal love towards each other, or it's a sham, the love that we say that we have for the Lord. If you feel your affection for the Christians at Des Moines Baptist is waning, then you need to be afraid. Be very afraid. Whenever I see Christians fighting, I get worried not about the situation that they're fighting about. I get worried about the soul of the Christian. What would arouse them to fight, to pick fights in that way and to go on fighting in that way with their fellow brothers and sisters? Could it actually be that they're not a Christian because of the way that they are behaving? Now, that may sound harsh, but it makes sense because the source of the love of Christians is Christ's love. In John 13, verse 34, it says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That word as there, it can also be translated since. Since I have loved you, so you should also love one another. Because of the love of Christ for us, then that spills out into love for fellow man. And 1 John chapter 4 also points this out as well. It sounds harsh to say that if you don't love your fellow believers, then you can't be a Christian. Well, 1 John 4 tells us that as well. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, great thing to say, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you say you love someone who you can't see but then hate someone you can see, you're shown to be a hypocrite. If God has loved you through the Lord Jesus Christ, then of course you're going to have a love for others. That love that God gives you spills over into a love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Non-Christians may actually love Christians over the short term. They may love them for a time, but not consistently over the long term. I know a little girl who likes collecting flowers, uh, and mostly they're what I call rescue flowers. Uh, they're ones that have fallen onto the ground, like people have rescue dogs and rescue cats and rescue rabbits, I've heard of recently. Um, this little girl likes collecting rescue flowers, and they look good. But then there's other flowers that look even better, and those are those that haven't been rescued but have actually been plucked uh, from a bush of some sort. And so these flowers are actually picked And they look good for a time as well. They look beautiful. But over the long term, they start to perish. And they start to wither and then start to look grotty. And then you start to want to put them in the bin. But the little girl might think that there's still a little life in them and uh, they should be retained nonetheless. And by God's common grace, non-Christians can actually show love to Christians for a time. They can shine. They can shine forth. But over the long term, they're shown for what they are, a dying flower. Unless they're truly grafted back into the true vine, they cannot consistently show love over the long term. All of us were plucked from the true vine many years ago at the fall. When Eve plucked that fruit From that tree, all of us fell along with her and her husband, Adam. 
And we can, by common grace, show some goodness for a time. But the only way to show true love over the long term is to be put back into the true vine. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the lack of love that you may have for Christians or the waning love that you have can be an alarm signal that you still need to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you feel a lack of affection, a lack of love for brothers and sisters, you're not interested in spending time with the people of God, take it as an alarm signal and flee to Christ in repentance and faith. But if you do enjoy loving the church family, if you see Sunday as the highlight of the week and you're keen to spend time together, then let's increase in our love for each other, showing patience and kindness with each other, not being rude or easily angered or keeping a record of wrongs, but increasing in our love. Now, Jesus has set the bar very high, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep having a go at it, just like I kept having a go at the high jump in school, even though I knew I'd fail miserably most of the time. Still have a go. He has set the bar and he has called us to aim for that bar. It was our king's dying wish. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us aim for that bar. That same spirit that took Jesus in love to the cross many years ago is working within us even now. So we have no reason to say, I just can't do it. No, if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you can. Because Jesus had the Holy Spirit without limit, admittedly, but he had the Holy Spirit that took him to the cross. And we have that same spirit working in within us too. So let us here at Dremoyne Baptist strive to make a little heaven on earth, a little heaven on earth of love and affection for one another as Christ has loved us. And ask ourselves this afternoon, how can I look more like the Lord Jesus Christ in my love to his church. How can I love the people here more? For his sake, it was his dying wish. For the world's sake, so that they're attracted and want to join us as we seek to worship God. And even for our own sake, there is joy in loving believers, particularly when they love you back. I've been in churches for many years, and there is a joy in loving the people of God which you can't enjoy in loving the people who do not belong to God. There is a joy there. For our sake, for Christ's sake, the world's sake, but also for our sake, love the people of God. Love one another. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the one who has shown the greatest love of all. There's been no better example in all of human history of love. Lord Jesus, we've asked that you would forgive us, though, for the lack of love that we show to one another. Forgive us through your work at the cross, that loving work that you performed so many years ago. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to love each other and by the power of your spirit, create a little heaven here on earth. And Lord... If there is anyone here who doesn't love your people, may they trust in your work at the cross even now. And we pray this in your name. Amen.